from WFSU Public Media, welcome to Perspectives, and I'm Tom Flanagan once again because of the cautions imposed by the current COVID situation. We're producing the show as a Zoom encounter and recording it in advance of its actual air date. So the program, using Zoom, was pre-recorded on Wednesday, January 12th for airing on Thursday, the 13th of January. Even before the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor proclaimed the United States as a haven for refugees, our country had already been that for ever since its inception, essentially. Because with the exception of those of us who can trace our ancestry to Native Americans, every current resident of America has forebears from other nations. And many of these forebears were escaping political, religious, or cultural persecution in their homelands. So we have been since essentially time immemorial a haven for refugees. Now, among the most recent of these situations, uh, folks in Afghanistan, many who found themselves and their families in peril after the departure of the American military presence not that long ago. But no matter where they come from, Those who arrive in America as refugees typically face many challenges. And today on Perspectives, we're going to be talking with some local folks who are very much involved in helping these new neighbors adjust to what is often a strange and potentially scary situation. So we're delighted to have them on. Let's welcome first Karen Duncan, Community Engagement and Outreach Coordinator for International Rescue Committee, Tallahassee. Karen, thank you so much for being part of this today. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. I'm delighted to be here. You uh, brought along some other members of the committee. Uh, Next up, Leanne Halsey, who is the site manager for the International Rescue Committee, Tallahassee. Leanne, so good to see you and Happy New Year. Thank you, Tom. Happy New Year to you as well. I'm happy to be here. And we'll round out the panel with John McBride, volunteer with the International Rescue Committee, Tallahassee. John, has been really integral in helping one of our families with uh, getting items that they need above and beyond what the committee itself provides. And that has allowed this family to live at one of his properties. And John, we can't wait to dig into that. And I'm sure you got some fantastic stories to, to tell. And thank you for joining the panel today. Better better take off mute, John. That has become sort of our mantra here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> but, well, thanks for coming on, John. We appreciate it so greatly. Let's start with you, Karen Duncan, if we could here. Talk about the, um, the actual organization with which you and your cohorts here involved, International Rescue Committee, Tallahassee. What is it? And uh, a little bit of background on it, too, please. Sure. Um, The International Rescue Committee was established in 1933 at the request of Albert Einstein, several American artists, intellectuals, and political leaders, and they just knew that we needed a better way to be helping refugees in the U.S. And so ever since then, you know, almost almost nearly 100 years now, we've been welcoming refugees to Tallahassee and uh, well, not to Tallahassee, excuse me, to the U.S. Um, in Tallahassee, the International Rescue Committee has been here since 2015. We've welcomed 750 refugees. Um, most of our populations are from the in, the Congo, uh, Syria, and 
countries such as Colombia and El Salvador, and then as recently from Afghanistan. Um, we've welcomed about 125 people from Afghanistan in the last few months and are hoping to welcome another 25 before the end of February. Because I think that is something that perhaps many people have a misperception of that with the departure of the U.S. military presence, the doors slam shut and no one's getting out of there. The Taliban reigns supreme and, and those folks are locked in. But you're saying there are still people who are coming from Afghanistan to the U.S.? Well, these are people that were were evacuated at the time that you're talking about and that had have been on military bases. And then once they were vetted at those military bases, then they've been um, sent to various states in the country through our different resettlement agencies. We're one of, of a few different agencies. So we are the only agency in Tallahassee. But uh, yeah refugees from Afghanistan are, are going throughout the country. Boy, that number that you mentioned, though, in excess of 700 just in our area alone seems, oh my gosh, what a what a daunting challenge that must be to get those folks settled and adjusted and provided with the things that they really need. Leanne uh, Halsey, let's talk to you a bit about that and how that process really happens. How do these folks come to our area and what do uh, members of the committee like yourself and Karen and John do when they arrive here to try to ease that transition for them? So uh, Tom, we actually uh, have course, what are called course services uh, to provide the clients. And this is an agreed upon uh, programming that is contracted uh, with the government and IRC. And these course services uh, see the clients from arrival at the airport uh, with our staff who welcomes them and they take them either to a temporary housing or permanent housing uh, situation, orient them to any situations that may be unfamiliar to them in the housing um, with regards to you know everything from a microwave to an oven and um, the safety aspect of orienting them. We then see them through other programming uh, to the idea of self-sufficiency. And that programming also offers everything from um, enrollment in English classes to their children enrollment in schools, as well as job employment. Um, and the idea of bus orientation so that they know how to uh, utilize public transportation so that they can also, um, you know, acclimate themselves to the community and the other areas that they would like to, um, you know, transport themselves. Maybe they want to go to a religious entity that, and become oriented that way. Uh, they also have doctor's appointments and things like this. So uh, the idea is to provide these services to the client uh, and help them become more confident in their assimilation into our culture. And uh, there is the programming that helps um, establish those benchmarks and report in on their self-sufficiency. We also provide them funding opportunities to assist them um, as they also launch into their employment. So assistance with rent, um, how to enroll in public benefits uh, that may be needed until they are launched into full-time employment. Those of us who have made a sojourn across country in search of a new job or relocating for other reasons, that can be daunting. 
I can't even imagine picking up yourself and your family and perhaps moving literally halfway across the world into a culture and a language situation and an entire social situation that might even seem alien and beyond comprehension. John McBride, since you're a volunteer with the committee, you have a great story to tell with uh, some families that you've assisted in that relocation process. Could you tell us about that? Well, I've directly assisted one family in the form of making a rental house that I was going to sell available. I decided I would just hold on to it. Had to do a lot of work on it anyway, so they stepped into a somewhat renovated uh, property. And um, it's worked out really well, and I've gotten to know the family. Um, It's gone from, you know, I'm the benefactor and they're the receiver to they've become friends. And um, we went to the grocery store together last night, and we've um they hadn't seen a beach in a while so i took them to panama city beach and uh, they think that they ought to live there instead of here now so we'll have to dissuade them from moving out but um the i think if you talk to like a senior executive at disney corporation they're going to tell you about the power of the narrative of the story and a lot of these people have a story um the family that i host at my house um the wife of the family was a translator on british uh, bases in Afghanistan. So she's got a target on her back with the Taliban. And um, she's reporting from home that last night um, in conversation with her family there, they're going door to door and collecting money and all the money and all the food that they can get from people. So that's not a governing structure that we'd want here. Um, but anyway, some other things that I've run across and just having brief conversations with the uh, folks at the International Rescue Committee is the range of needs the population uh, that they're serving has. And oftentimes we can meet those needs without writing a check, although I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Um, it can be the microwave you've been stand, you know, stepping around in the garage, meaning to take somewhere to Goodwill or you know whatever. Um, it could be some clothes hanging in that closet that's too crowded. Um, it could be, again, reaching in your pocketbook and making a, a donation to the IRC. One need that they have right now is um, um, Target gift cards are really helpful because Target will deliver to the door of people that, you know, I don't know if you've ridden the bus in Tallahassee. I haven't, but I've tried to um, decode the bus schedule, and I'm, I'm told it's better than any bus schedule in Afghanistan, but still, it looked pretty daunting. Um, Anyway, one of the other needs is employment. And um, Michael, who's an employment coordinator at IRC, gave me a call and said, hey, I got a painter. And I called a friend of mine, and I'm going to give him a shout out. Larry Wolf has a wall covering company. And I called him and I said, do you know any painters? Because he knows all the painters. He said, I'll hire him. (laughs) And he met the guy, put him on full time with benefits and all this kind of stuff. And the guy's from Syria. And his story is they were in the street one day, and um, we know about the you know, the bad things going on in Syria, um, the guy witnessed his mother-in-law getting murdered in the street. And he and his family didn't even go back to the house. They started moving toward Jordan where they spent some time before immigrating here. And that guy's now hired. And um, he called my friend Larry and said, hey, I got another friend from Syria. He needs a job. What does he do? Body shop guy. Larry's brother's an adjuster for an insurance company. Called him up, said, any of your body shops need a guy? The guy started work last week. And they say he's the best guy they've ever hired so you know the things that we do are not necessarily 
sacrificial giving, um, placing these people in employment often meets a need of the employer. Um, these people come from areas that are unlawful and you get a different level of justice based on who you are or who you know, rather than a, a, a firm justice system. So they hit the ground running. They, they're confident that the advancements they make in their careers or for their families or, or advancements they get to keep in their pocket, which might be in sharp contrast to places where they came from. What a terrific story. And they say, of course, John, the timing is everything. And now with so many organizations and businesses in our area and elsewhere looking for very capable and experienced employees, many of whom you just talked about there who were able to move into that kind of situation. It seems like uh, this is a, a wonderful opportunity for those folks to really become much more integrated into into our society and become more self-sufficient and all those kinds of things you're talking about. It is indeed. And you talk to anybody that's a small business owner or, you know, wander around and go ask the manager at your Publix or uh, your Home Depot, and they're they're saying we're starving for people that will show up to work every day. Yeah, and here are people that are ready to go. Uh, you, you want to jump in here, Leanne? Go ahead. I do, Tom. I want to mention the fact that we're talking about individuals who are skilled in such a broad spectrum. We have highly educated individuals that are, you know, in uh, to computers. They have, you know, operated businesses. Um, you know, potentially have business administration degrees, um, as well as those who have worked with our um, in our embassy in hospitality type jobs, and they've, you know, worked as uh, cooks as well as servers, um, and then everything in between, you know, those who are um, mechanics uh, and worked on the equipment uh, for the military, the interpreters. So the the spectrum of their skill set is very broad. Um, and so I think it's important to know that there there's a lot of potential there for, um, you know, the the people who are looking to employ uh that we have individuals who could make possibly meet their needs members of the international rescue committee tallahassee with us on this special edition of perspectives on wfsu public media we have karen duncan leanne halsey and john mcbride talking about the resettlement of refugees from other countries into our country and specifically into our area. Karen Duncan, let's talk about that intersection of need and availability of uh, what is needed. Does the committee have like a comprehensive listing of here are some families who need this and here's where you can go to donate that? And how does that take place? Absolutely. We love to connect those needs with the uh, things that the community would like to offer. Uh, right now, we've put together an Amazon wish list of items that we're looking to get donated. And we put that together just to make it a clear list. It's people certainly don't have to buy from Amazon. They don't have to be new items, but we just ask that they are, these are the items that we're looking for right now. Um, people can reach out to me to, you know, if they have a need for employment, their need 
to looking for someone to work for them, I would love to connect those needs. Um, another way to give is, as John mentioned, we love to receive financial donations. Those give us, That gives us that flexibility to meet our clients' needs. Um, we have a website, help.rescue.org, where they can go and make a donation. Um, we have wonderful people in this community. It is the outpouring of support and desire to help has just been amazing. I mean, every day I get multiple emails and multiple phone calls about people wanting to volunteer, people wanting to bring, as you said, those things in your garage that you might have that you don't need anymore or that you, you know, desire to I had a woman call me the other day that said, I've got this quilt. It was the first quilt I ever made. And I really want to give it to one of these families. And this, I mean, she, she made this quilt back in like 1985, I believe. And I just thought, what a beautiful thing that they want to spread this love to people and knowing that they, everything they've been through and that we just have such an amazingly welcoming um, community. And it's been a joy for me to, to try to connect those needs. And those needs change every day. You know, I get, got a request the other day for a tricycle for a child, as well as we need school supplies for children entering school right now, backpacks, you know, there's a variety of needs. And I'd love to, to connect any of your listeners with the, with our families and, and get those needs met. Well, we'll make sure that when we uh, post the actual audio of the program online, which usually takes place within 24 hours or so of after the program actually airs on the on the radio, Karen, we'll make sure that we, we do have a link there that people can click on and then connect with you guys to see what the needs are and how they might be able to help out. Fantastic. Another program that we'll be rolling out in the next month or two is it's what we're calling our welcome home program. And it was a way and it's a way for the community to help sponsor a a family. So we can have a community group. We're looking for groups of like 20 to 30 people that would be willing to spend a couple of hours. And that's why we look for a larger group so that we can spread out that that time. Spend an hour or two a week with a family, as Leanne and John mentioned, taking them to the grocery store, helping them ride the bus, take them to the park, have a picnic at the park. Um, go to the beach. So it's fantastic. I bet that family really, really enjoyed going to the beach um, and then help them. And they can be involved from the beginning, helping set up their apartment, gathering those those things that people need to get their life started and helping them with their rent. You know, this is going to be a really great program that we're piloting. The IRC is piloting across the country um, and we're seeing great things wonderful stories of families and groups that are being connected and really helping these these families be integrated into the community and feel like they are welcome. Well, hopefully someone who has uh, potentially a property in Bay County can contact John McBride and he can hook up that one family with a beachfront property, John, even though that's not uh, probably within the realm of possibility right now. Uh, Karen said that the community is very, very welcoming, but have you seen any kind of pushback? You know, we are a little bit xenophobic uh, in some parts of this country. And what kind of experiences have, you know, your families had maybe that haven't been altogether pleasant or has it been good across the board? Tom, I don't know that we've actually experienced any of that quite yet. Um in terms of, uh, you know, kind of a, an issue that is ongoing. Um, you know, there's always situations, though, that present. Um, we recently have had um, some concerns with uh, bullying at schools for the children. 
um, this is something that families maybe could help educate their their children in their homes to be welcoming to these other children on the bus and at school um, to help, you know, um, also uh, from an inclusive inclusion standpoint and include them in activities at the school as a new member of the classroom and stuff. Um, that is one area that we know is uh, something that continues to surface that the children have difficulty adjusting. Um, and so that is one area that I am aware of. But as far as in general in the community, I've not heard of an ongoing issue at this time. And I think that says something uh, to the, the Tallahassee community um, and being a diverse community and being quite welcoming. That, that's a gratifying assessment, Leanne, because I recall um, back many, many years ago when I was in school, a family from Nigeria moved into uh, the school that I attended, into that school district. And the, the school made a very, very big deal of welcoming these students, there were two of them, to that institution and set up uh, like little seminars uh, where classes could come and hear their stories of what their country was like and how they found America. And it really became an interesting two-way educational experience for everyone involved. And, And those students became really special in the eyes of their classmates and also the administration they went all out to to just make it like it was like a welcome wagon situation for the 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 kids and their family members back home and they they adjusted really well it was surprising because there were a lot of cultural differences they had to overcome that's a great story i i do know that um the 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 people that we work with from the Leon County School District um, obviously are doing great work as community members and stakeholders uh, working with IRC's clients to help integrate their children into the classrooms. And so I I just can't speak uh, highly enough about the work that they do to welcome the children into the schools as well. Good to hear that, Leanne, for sure. Well, John McBride, uh, since you're involved in the real estate aspect here, a lot has been said about affordable housing and and lack of same here in our area. Is is that something that we really need to look at going forward, trying to have more availability of good quality, affordable housing for these families? Um, I think that's kind of a uniform issue across all populations right now. But the specific challenges that um, this community needs to face is if you or I wanted to go rent an apartment and we go to the management office, the first thing we're going to want is your social security number or references from where you lived before. And um, if you don't have that, it just doesn't fit the, the lock that opens the door to allow you to access that housing. And that's a, a real big challenge that uh, the housing coordinator has had at IRC. So, um, I reached out to some friends on Facebook um, and uh, they said, we've got several units. I don't know whether IRC took advantage of that or not, but um, I found that uh, to your point, whether xenophobia or anything, a lot of people that vote differently than I do, who are my friends on Facebook, where I've kind of exposed these challenges that IRC is having uniformly were sympathetic and stepped up and uh, contributed uh, microwaves or a television set or a DVD player to entertain the children 
and immerse them in the English language. Um, but um, anyway, the, the housing challenge is something that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. And I but I would encourage other people that own rental properties or what have you to consider contacting the RRC and maybe giving them a good deal um, cognizant of the good work they're doing in the community and uh, make those places available for families. Yeah, particularly since we seem to be, if you talk to any of the uh, residential real estate people in town, we're undergoing some some shifts here as far as populations and different demographics uh, relocating in and various areas and so it's a pretty fluid kind of thing and it looks like uh, that again may be a challenge but also might present some opportunities uh, moving forward since we're talking about international folks karen duncan what's the involvement of the federal government if any in these resettlement efforts that IRC is involved in? Do you guys talk to them? Do they talk to you? What's the deal? Yeah, and uh, Leanne may be, able, may be able to speak to this more. We are definitely involved very closely with the federal government. We work with the Office of Refugee Resettlement, um, and that is along with the other resettlement organizations to that's how the refugees gets dispersed throughout the country. And so actually I'll defer to Leanne to speak to that more directly. Here you go, Leanne. And so, uh, Karen definitely, uh, you know, covered the very initial, most important agreement that we have is with ORR, and that's our um, cooperative agreement. And these go this goes back to the core services that we provide. So the different resettlement agencies across the United States, um, in, in addition to IRC and the other agencies, these are the programming uh, components that are necessary for the refugee resettlement. There's also um, additional funding streams and different programs that come through um, the Bureau of Population Refugees and um, uh, Management and different, they refer to it as PRM and, or excuse me, and migration. So it's Bureau of Population Refugees and Migration. Um, PRM. These are funding streams that also assist with the resettlement of the um, individuals that we're serving. We also see um, different programming that is provided from private entities beyond the government uh, that assist as well in, you know, different things that I know Karen and other people in our development office work with. But the two big entities are ORR and PRM that fund the um, initial uh, programs and the contract agreements that we have. And, and on the local level, I know that there are many resources also that uh, avail uh, this kind of a transitional. I'm thinking specifically uh, when the um, uh, Leon Literacy volunteers were in and we were talking about what they uh, do uh, before COVID struck. And they specifically mentioned that they worked with uh, uh, trying to help refugee families uh, improve their skills in, in English. And uh, so there's not only that organization, but I'm sure there are many others that plug into you guys too to, to help out, right? Yes, and we also work obviously uh, with you know federal fund, federal funding uh, for public benefits and things like that that are issued through the, our state agencies, um, and so these programs also assist, but they're not necessarily the contracted agreement 
for the refugee resettlement. Help from local and uh, even state government, too? Is that uh, within the realm of possibility in this regard? Yes. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of different entities. We have our state refugee coordinators um, who also um, are overseeing and assisting with refugee resettlement. Uh, they are directly connected also to ORR. Okay. John McBride, you had some great success stories here on the families that you've been working with here. Is there uh, um, anything else that, uh, especially to connect those folks in a very personal and human way with uh, people who are listening to this right now because again it may seem a little bit academic oh a family comes from you know some other country to the united states and uh, luckily there are good folks like uh, the international rescue committee tallahassee people and others to to help them there but uh, just situations that perhaps you're aware of that people would go oh my gosh that sounds so neat we have to get involved in some way well, because the IRC also deals with human trafficking, um, they really need a background check before they can put you in a cl- client-facing relationship with these people. And I can't emphasize the importance of relationship enough. Uh, there's a number of things, and you know, whether you're in a quilting group or a Bible study or something like that, people tend to go back again and again based on the relationships they establish in those. So uh, I really encourage that. So um, IRC has this nice little trick if you go to their website and you donate exactly 51 dollars, it pays for a background check and it immediately triggers an email that comes to you and you fill it out and it uh, does the background and it puts it in the queue for the uh, level two background check make sure you're not a baddie um then uh once those results come back um there's opportunities where they could have you in client facing roles that sounds real bureaucratic and everything but you got to understand you know the the fragility of some of these situations and, and they need to make sure who's dealing with their uh, constituents. But once you do that, I, I'm told that somewhere in late February, they're going to start a program where they're, they're matching the, the local folks to families. And I think the intent is multiple groups of local folks matched with a single family. Um, one thing that I've learned, and you know, every time I talk to the good folks at IRC, I learn more and more. Their approach is, kind of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're going to deal with some basic needs like housing and making sure they're fed and, and that their healthcare stuff. And, you know, the DVD player and the trip to the beach and, and uh, a, a personal helicopter ride to church or, or mosque or whatever, that's way down the road. Um, they're wanting to deal with that. And I would encourage any volunteers to first of all, get involved by starting with the background check, but also coordinate closely with RC to make sure that if you're taking them somewhere to to talk about a job that they don't have a schedule conflict where they need to be meeting with an immigration attorney during that time that really needs to happen before they go looking for a job or whatever that's that's one true scenario where somebody got enthusiastic to help an immigrant and it actually got a little bit crosswise so i would recommend people do that but um you know, it's, it's real encouraging to see, for instance, the neighbors across the street from the house where my people live. Um, they've been coming over and getting bread from our people um, who baked this fantastic bread. And, and the, the neighbors kind of in the circumference of this house are starting to be affected and are acting positively toward these folks. So those are very organic type relationships that don't require 
a, a background check and all that. But um, really, I, I, you know, I really believe you give, you get back more than you give. And um, this has been an enriching experience, not just for me and my family, but for several other tangentially involved families. And I name a bunch of names right now, but I'll, I'll save you the time. And um, it, it's just been wonderful. So Tom, um, this is Karen. I started out as a volunteer actually about five years ago with the IRC. And at the time they had a mother and she was single mother. She had come to from the Democratic Republic of Congo and she was pregnant and she had three young children. And, um, you know, one thing that the IRC needs help with is helping our clients get to doctor's appointments. And um, at the time they, they asked me, they needed someone to help her with her prenatal appointments. So I was able to take her and, and we didn't speak the same language, obviously. And, uh, but we did the best we could with um, Google Translate. And I was able to take her to those appointments and help see her through. And then once her baby was born, we, I took the, just took the kids one day to she and her children to the uh, Tallahassee Museum. And I can't tell you the look of joy on those, their faces. Like they just thought that that was the best thing ever. You know, that they were able to go to this place and see these animals and play on these play structures. And it just was such a wonderful experience. And after that, I just told people, I said, meet and get to know a refugee because they will change your life. It is really, you get so much more than you give. And I just really encourage our community to, to, it's all about getting to know them, you know, really get to know their stories and, and recognize we're all just people trying to make our way in the world. And we're there. We're just so grateful for everything that people have done to help and people like John. And I'd love to connect more people so they can have these same kind of experiences. Well, Karen, that certainly reinforces the oft mentioned comment that Tallahassee is a great place to raise a family, no matter where that family comes from. What stories do you have, Leanne? So I, I actually just wanted to jump in and you know, kind of honor what John was saying. I, I have some stories that um, are relative to seeing and experiencing recently since I've been here with IRC. I've worked with refugee populations prior to uh, my um, new position here with IRC, uh, but some of the most beautiful experiences recently are seeing family reunifications of the refugee population um, or I should say the, the Afghan humanitarian uh, population that have been separated through the um, evacuation of Afghanistan. Um, it was, you know, something that our country has never seen before. Uh, it's an unprecedented time. Families were separated at the airport in Kabul and then spent time in other countries as they were vetted before arriving in the United States. And then they arrived to the United States to then be continue to be separated in other states uh, at the safe havens. And so months and months of this traumatic time of departure from the country, uh, then to finally have them come back together in Tallahassee and to be a part of those experiences of one family member having arrived prior to the other and being able to take them to the airport to welcome their loved ones. Uh, it was just so moving in the sense of, of just not knowing 
what that must be like for these individuals to have been separated in such a traumatic time. Um, so those are beautiful moments um, and they all have stories like John had mentioned earlier. Um, every individual has a unique story um, of struggle and strife. And I think as they land here in our community and they are welcomed and supported, they have this opportunity to establish a life of um, a peaceful integration and a time where they can, you know, just really, really continue to have personal growth um, and build a new life. And um, I wanted to just mention that, you know, in interactions like what John has uh, with the families of giving them those fringe uh, experiences beyond our services. It's very important that we, um, with our caseworkers and our employment specialists and our housing specialists are, uh, you know, pursuing our, our services that we need to provide to the clients. But then having those opportunities with the community who assist beyond the basic uh, processes that we have in those areas to embellish the home with more comforts of, you know, vacuum cleaners and, and microwaves um, and to give them experiences uh, that, you know, integrate them to a community are all so, so meaningful for these families. I'm interested in also, we talk about assimilation and that has been, you know, the American mantra for so long, but now there is a growing awareness of how important it is with folks from other countries maintain a very solid and substantial connection with their own culture and their own history and their own background. What kind of challenges do you see facing these families that come, particularly here to to Tallahassee, where we are warm and welcoming, but they may feel a little bit isolated from, you know, what they have known in the past and and things that really reinforce their their cultural background and history? I'd love to speak to that. As a social worker, um, the idea of cultural competency and cultural sensitivity is extremely important. That we understand uh, difference and we accept and, and embrace difference in our society of individuals having their different belief systems, their different traditions, their holidays that they celebrate. Um, so assimilation is, is uh, an important aspect, but I think also maintaining that cultural uh, component is uh, grounding for these families. We found that Wi-Fi access is critical for the for the families to be able to have their linkage back to their families in Afghanistan or Jordan or you know wherever they're coming from, and so the the this uh, connection through Wi-Fi is so critical for them to also still feel a part of their um, uh, community back at home. And maybe we'll have some more of those types of uh, joyful reunions that you're talking about when their families come to visit and who knows at some point maybe to also uh, relocate to our country which leads us to the next discussion point which is you know what these families bring to to our communities besides hey look uh, you know greater diversity and different ways of looking at the world and uh, can improve our language skills by connecting us to people who don't have english as a primary language and all but what wh- what else do you think it it brings and uh, either john or, or karen or leanne uh, jump in and uh, th- just share your thoughts on that 
I'll jump in, Tom. Um, you know, the founder of Tesla and the originators of Google, however you feel about those products, they were not born here. And um, Tesla himself, I believe, was uh, from Hungary or somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, you know, immigrant immigrants have been the lifeblood of this country forever. And my experience meeting people that are immigrants is that they hit the ground running and um, they have a sense of gratitude that maybe some of us that grew up comfortable here don't quite have. And um, a lot of them have um, a real keen focus on education as well as making life better for the next generation instead of having the latest, shiniest new car. So uh, they're investing, they're emphasizing education, they're, you know, anyway, they're, my experience is it's very good. Terrific. Karen, what do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with everything that John said. And I also think that it really helps us in our community in Tallahassee with getting better, greater diversity, you know, seeing people around town that may not look just like you or like your your family and, and making your children aware of those different countries and their different religions, what they might believe, what they may um, celebrate, different holidays. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to these other cultures that is very enriching to our lives. Um, for me, food, you know, I would love to taste more Afghan food or Congolese food or Syrian food. And that's a, I'm, you know, I'd love for one of them to open a restaurant. I think that would be a fantastic addition to our community. Um, just that broadening of our horizons, you know, looking out beyond what we see in our, our small community and being aware of what's going on in the world. I think there's so much that can be added by welcoming people from other countries. Leanne, what do you think? So I think bringing community together through food and music is always a beautiful experience because you you get the culture of food. Like Karen said, I would love to, to have the opportunity to taste some of this uh, delicious uh, cultural food that they would make. And I hope somebody does open an Afghan restaurant um, as well. I think music is a beautiful way to also share in their culture um, and just engage with them and have them share music with you. Um, I think it's, I would love to know if any of our clients play any uh, musical instruments from, you know, the countries that they are in. And uh, I think that's also a beautiful way to, to explore their creativity and their arts. Well, half a century ago, who would have thought that an Asian festival in Tallahassee, Florida, would annually attract an excess of 20,000 people, as it uh, typically did before the pandemic and just this past year when they reimagined it and put it out at uh, Tom Brown Park. But as all three of you have said, with the the music and the food especially, uh, that is a, a major point of commonality, I think, to everyone who can get behind these things and learn more about our uh, our new neighbors that uh, that we are now coming on deck folks we have maybe about uh, oh seven minutes remaining in the program i wanted to give everyone an opportunity to kind of veer off in any direction that you think is appropriate some points that we haven't hit yet and anything else that you'd you'd want to bring into the conversation so let, let's start with you karen uh, what haven't we talked about that you think is important for people to to know 
I'd like to talk about the different ways that people can volunteer with the IRC. Um, as John mentioned, you know, you can go as in-depth as, as being involved with the families directly, but we have other ways of volunteering as well. We receive a lot of donations, which has been wonderful and just such a huge boon to our clients. They don't receive a, a large amount of money when they receive when they come here. So anything that we can get donated that they can have in their homes really saves them a lot of money. Um, but in coming along with those donations is the need to sort and categorize them and inventory them so that we know where they where what we have and and um, what where it needs to go. And so that's one way that people can can volunteer. Another way is we need help when we do go to set up those apartments. People, we've seen such a wonderful outpouring of support from the community whenever I put out a, a call for volunteers to come and help set up those apartments. And you're not interacting directly with the client at that time that they'll move in later, but you're getting to put those towels in the linen closet and making the bed and and putting the things in the stocking the refrigerator. And you just, I, I just know that our clients feel the love of the community when they come into their home for the first time and know that someone was there specifically for them and uh and then there is the more involved way to you know to driving to a doctor appointment going and reading with a child helping them with homework we have a wonderful youth mentorship program through the irc where a youth kind of like big brother big sister where they can be uh, anybody can be um connected with one of our youth clients and help them, help them with homework, take them on an outing, just make them feel special. So there's a lot of, there's a variety of ways that people can volunteer and um, whether they feel comfortable being client facing or not, um, we would love to get them involved. And I imagine not just individuals too. I'm thinking of faith communities perhaps around uh, town, uh, many of which have done family adoptions or kind of fostering situations in the past. And this sounds like another opportunity along that line. Absolutely. We have a wonderful story from Clarn United Methodist Church. They reached out to me. I didn't even have to go looking for them. They came to me and said, you know, we really want to help a family. Um, Christina Stanton at, uh, at the church, she had been involved with refugees before and, and really got her community going, her faith group going. And they wanted to do what they called the total apartment makeover, extreme apartment makeover. And they took they took our list of what we provide to a client and they went crazy. Like they took, they got everything and more for one family and they moved, they took time last Saturday, several hours to set up that apartment. And I was able to meet some of the members of their church and, and just was really impressed by what they were doing and, and the effort that they, and the thought that they had put into making this a home for the family. And so we have wonderful faith groups and churches and community groups in, in Tallahassee. And I know that, you know, it was a wonderful experience for them and, and I hope to get more people involved. Thanks, Karen. Leanne, uh, anything that we haven't touched on that you think is uh, is necessary to be said here? So, Tom, I just want to reiterate what Karen just mentioned in terms of the um, client interfacing is really, truly meaningful. There are other ways to get involved as well. Um, and if you do the client facing and uh, you get the background check, like John was talking about, it's so important to also understand our work and how you can enhance that um, and fill the areas and go beyond and fill the gaps that, you know, are beyond the services that we provide. I also, just from a, 
a, a kind of off the wall statement. Uh, I just want to throw this out there. I dream of a kite festival in Tallahassee because if any of you've ever seen the kite runner, I think of the, like how beautiful it would be to see some of our clients out there with their youth and flying kites. Uh, this is outside our reach, uh, but boy, wouldn't that be kind of a cool way to honor some of their culture and their history. And that would be a revival of an old Tallahassee tradition too, Leanne. We used to have a hot air balloon festival in this town in conjunction with springtime Tallahassee many, many, many years ago. And that's gotten to be, you know, a, a safety thing and it's very expensive and all. But kites, anybody can do a kite and that'd be great. And we have all these beautiful parks around town. People could be flying kites everywhere around Tallahassee. Uh, anyway, I just have had visions of that uh, since I also watched rewatched the Kite Runner. Uh, well, I'm down with you because my mom always used to tell me to go fly a kite when I was a kid. John McBride, any thoughts from you, sir, please? Uh, just a few points. Um, I asked the question, one of many questions of IRC, is where the social connections come for these immigrants. And the response I got was it generally comes from their workplace. So some of these people may be a little far down the road from being employed due to lack of English or something like that. So I would encourage everybody to try to uh, find a way to be socially connected with these folks. Um, and it helps them uh, kind of embed in our society and, and become members of the community as well. Yeah, and let's hope that as the COVID situation kind of ramps down, if in fact we can count on that during the months to come, that will afford more opportunities for that kind of social interaction and cross-pollination that you're talking about there, John. I, you're right, that that's really critical for folks of all ages, but especially the kids. you got to get them you know, into peer groups and friends and all, because that is just absolutely essential to their development as people. But thank you for everything that that you've done there with those families and i can't wait to hear some more stories from all of you folks as we uh, move into another year and get an update on what's going on with refugee resettlement in conjunction with the international rescue committee tallahassee what you folks do and all the partners that are associated with that as well and thank you all for being a part of perspectives today karen duncan leanne halsey and john mcbride Appreciate it, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Perspectives produced by WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee. We give out a big shout to our technical guy, Taylor Cox, and Evan Rossi, who's going to be helping us out this week as well. Paul Dam, Amy Diaz de Villegas, Tricia Monahan, and Lido Rawls, also part and parcel of the whole enterprise. A lot of other folks on deck, too, that help make this all possible. Our director of content, Kim Kelling, is executive producer, and I'm Tom Flanagan. You know, in recent months, Leon County has been looking at various ways to transform Tallahassee's Northwest Gateway, otherwise known as the Monroe Street Corridor. And a citizens group has been developing suggestions for how that might be done, and we're going to learn more about their work and what may lie ahead coming up on next week's Perspectives from WFSU Public Media. Take care.